When I was uh, a lot younger, I wanted to be like one of the cool kids. I wanted to be like one of the guys who were up front, who were charging into enemy territory and taking care of business. And yet, the reality was that I didn't have the speed, I didn't have the endurance, I didn't have the, frankly, the coordination to be a forward. I played right fullback. Right fullback. I hung out in the back corner of the soccer field. The ball rarely came my way, and when it did, I was totally stressed out. Would this be the moment that I let the whole team down? What if I went to kick the ball and missed? What if the, the winning goal for the other team was scored because of me? And I played the game. I played not with fervor, but with fear. And defense, defense was more, more about taking care of myself and protecting myself than doing the job that was given. I was so, so concerned about defending my reputation, the little that I had of it, that I couldn't even accomplish what my team was relying on me to do. Defense is a crucial part of soccer. But if we're living our lives playing defense, trying to protect the little that we have, well, then we fail to accomplish the mission that we're called to accomplish. This morning, Genesis 21, and we're going to look at an event in the life of Abraham, and as we look at it, I think we're going to see the importance of being done with playing defense and going all in for God's mission for our lives. So let's turn to Genesis 21 right now, and let's stand together as we read from God's Word. Genesis 21, verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal kindly with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven you lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Abraham was a man with a mission. 
And God told him that when he called him, that he would be not only a man who was blessed himself, but that he would be a blessing to others. Remember, he said, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Abraham, he knew that as he traveled, as he interacted with all varieties of people, every place that he went, he knew that he was supposed to be a blessing. Now, we know that ultimately, the blessing that was really going to come from Abraham was the blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. And yet, for the right then and there, Abraham's mission was to, to bless, to be a blessing everywhere he went. And Abraham was a blessing to others. We, months ago, we noted early on that after Abraham left Ur, that he was telling others about this great God who had called him out of darkness and into the light. As he spent time in Haran, we're told in Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 5, that there were people who were added to his entourage. He was being a blessing to others. He was leading people to know, to love, to trust this God who had called him. He was accomplishing his mission. But we've also seen, haven't we? And in fact, we saw this last week. There were times when the way he was living, it completely submarined his ability to bless others. His surrender to fear, his lack of trust in God, it led him to play defense and miss opportunities to bless others. Our passage this morning opens up with Abimelech, king of Gerar, along with the commander of his army. They come to Abraham, and they're seeking to establish peace, a peace treaty. He says this, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me hereby, God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Now, this is interesting. This is really interesting. Abraham was traveling through this land that God was ultimately going to give his descendants, right? But it's not his land yet. Abraham's just a visitor there. He's a, he's a stranger there. We're told at the end of chapter 21, this, this was the land of the Philistines, and he's sojourning there. To sojourn is to stay in a place temporarily. He's just a visitor, a stranger. Hebrews 11.13 says he was a stranger and in exile on the earth. Okay, well, if that's the case, then why would Abimelech, king of the land, seek to make a peace treaty with Abraham, a stranger? Isn't it an odd thing that a king would go out of his way to establish peace with a man, a man who's just visiting Peace treaties, they're established when there, there is no peace or there's a threat that peace might be taken away, peace is in jeopardy, there's a good chance that peace might be lost. They're needed to protect from threats. They exist to protect from danger, from, from the possibility of war. Ever since sin was introduced, sin was introduced into the human bloodstream and peace has been at risk ever since that time. After Adam and Eve disobeyed, 
In the garden, they, they no longer had peace with God. And not only did they no longer have peace with God, they no longer had peace with each other. Their firstborn son, he, he destroyed peace in their family as he killed his younger brother. Sin, it destroys peace because sin turns hearts away from loving, trusting, and obeying God and toward doing whatever our hearts think is best, whatever they feel like, whatever they want to do at the time. When sin came into the world, every human heart, it began to create these little, these little kings and these little queens that live inside of us. Each person, they became their own lord and master, seeking to further their own individual kingdoms. And so instead of partnering together to worship this, this great God, the, the creator, instead of being united in that task, people now began competing against each other. Competing against each other. Allies instantly became potential enemies. And yes, it's true that alliances would be formed. Like-minded people with similar interests, wants, and desires, they would band together and yet, even those who link arm in arm and walk in step with one another, they, would, they wouldn't experience perfect peace with, the, with each other, would they? They would inevitably start to irritate one another, struggle to keep peace with each other. Discontented glances would be traded under the breath. Comments and remarks would be exchanged, slanderous Comments, gossip, even outright in-your-face verbal blows, those wouldn't be unheard of. Peace, lasting peace, was potentially at risk between Abimelech and Abraham. But again, why would Abimelech be the one to come to Abraham and seek peace? What threat could Abraham be to this powerful, powerful king? Abimelech cared about solidifying peace with Abraham because of experience, because of personal experience, because Abraham, interacting with Abraham, had already brought quite a bit of trouble. Remember two weeks ago when Abraham first came into the land of Gerar, Abimelech took Sarah, his wife, Abraham's wife, into his household. And when that happened, God comes to Abimelech, right? He visits him, and he strikes the king with this illness. Not only does he strike the king, but he now prevents the future. He puts up a roadblock, a brick wall, in front of the possibility of Abimelech's line continuing by preventing all the women in the household from having children. God just put it into it. Abraham, or Abimelech, you're going nowhere until you make things right. God essentially crippled Abimelech's rule in one fell swoop. And in Abimelech's mind, he hadn't done anything wrong. Abraham and Sarah had deceived him by saying that they were brother and sister. And so naturally, when he saw that Sarah was very beautiful and unattached, well, he did what he was used to doing as a king. He just takes her for himself. Nothing really sinister here. He was just doing what kings did. Now, the deception that Abraham and Sarah made was because they were afraid, right? They were afraid. They were afraid that peace would be threatened as they were in the land. Their peace. Are we going to be safe here? 
what about this king? If he, if he sees you, he's, how beautiful you are, he's probably going to kill me. But now that God has intervened, Abraham's not the one that's afraid anymore, is he? Who's afraid? Abimelech is afraid. And that's why he says this in verse 22. God is with you in all that you do. He realized, yeah, the message came across loud and clear. God is Abraham's God, and he is a powerful God. Abraham was no regular guy. He was a force to be reckoned with because of the firepower that could come to his aid. He had God protecting him. And what made Abraham an even bigger threat was that he, sh- he had shown he can't be trusted. He can't be trusted. He had already proven himself to be a liar and a deceiver. He was a wild card. After what had happened, having him around, it just made Abimelech feel totally uneasy. Have you been around a person like that? Don't point. Person that made you feel uncomfortable, that made you feel on edge, like you had to walk on eggshells around them. At any moment, you could say the wrong thing or look at them the wrong way and push their buttons in just such a manner that you would now have to pay for it. You would pay the consequences. That's not fun, is it? We don't want to be around people like that. But that's the reputation that Abraham made for himself. His attempt to protect himself, to play defense, it disrupted peace, didn't it? He couldn't be trusted. And that's why Abimelech wants Abraham to swear that he wouldn't deal falsely with him. Not anymore, Abraham. You be truthful with me. He doesn't want to accidentally find himself in the hands of Abraham's God again. And so it's Abimelech, not Abraham, who initiates the peace talk. You know, it's really the reverse of what should have happened. If Abraham was acting like the man that God had called him to be, well, then he would have been proactive in bringing blessing to the king of Gerar. He would have marched into Gerar, and he would have been thinking, God, how do you want to use me to bless all these pagan people here? God had shown himself powerful. He had shown himself faithful. He guided him. He took care of him. He provided for him. He provided for him time and time again. Showed him, I can be trusted. You can rely on me. As God's ambassador for good, Abraham should have been stepping into new territories with confidence. With confidence, looking for opportunities to bless others and expecting God to protect him. God, you've done it before. You're going to do it again. How are you going to work here? I can't wait to see. might get a little dicey, but I know you're in control. But that doesn't happen. Instead, Abraham has shown that he's far more interested in protecting the things that God, the good things that God has given him in life. He's bent on playing defense. Rather than actively pressing into the call to be a blessing, he does everything he can, even to the point of being deceptive, to protect himself from threats. Have you ever been tempted to play defense? Have you ever gotten so focused on building up protections for what you have that you have no time, no energy, no resources to bless a world in need? 
Have you become so busy managing the life that you've built up for yourself? Or maybe so busy trying to build up a life for yourself, so consumed with achieving or, or guarding your dreams that you have no time to be Christ's ambassador to the world. Maybe it's not time holding you back. Maybe like Abraham, it's just fear. It's just fear. Maybe pursuing God's call for your life just seems too risky. Abraham was called to be a blessing. You know, you and I are called to be blessings as well. We're called to be a blessing as we go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus. That's the mission Jesus gave us. Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this is our mission. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for church staff. It's not just for the outspoken and the extroverted. It's for all of us. For all of us. Now, we can all do that in different ways, right? We all have different un unique gifts that can be used in different ways to make disciples, unique personalities. But we got to realize that ultimately, we all share the same mission. We've been left here on earth to share the good news of Jesus and teach people what it means to live for him. That's our mission. That's what we're called to be doing. And that's why at the end of every single Sunday service, we close with that call, with that reminder. Now let's go be the church. In other words, let's fulfill the mission that God has entrusted his people with. Bring glory to him. Bring good to his people as we do what? Share the hope. Teach the truth. Serve the king. That's our way here at Bethany of simply saying, Let's go make disciples. Let's go do it. This is what we're called for. Let's be intentional witnesses of Christ. Let's be actively striving to find ways to share the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's teach people everything that God has commanded us. Let's teach them the truth. Let's teach them the Bible. Let's serve the King with every action, with every word, with every thought, with every dollar. And let's worship our great God by using all we've got for his kingdom. Didn't Jesus himself say, be first about doing the things that God wants you to do, and, and, and I'll take care of the rest. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Isn't that good? It's so good. Things like food and clothing and houses and transportation and money and security, all of that stuff, he will provide. We're to press on towards the goal he's given us. Why are we wasting our time so very often just consumed with worry, protecting ourselves, preserving the good gifts that he's already given us when we've got our marching orders? Let's rearrange our priorities and get serious about accomplishing it. Jesus promised he would take care of the rest. And so very often I think we're like Abraham. 
We're filled with fear. We're strategizing how we might defend, defend from what is out there. It's scary out there. But what we really should be doing is being intentional about looking out to how we might share Jesus with the people who are out there. We're like the guy Jesus spoke of who was given some talents and and he buried them in the ground. He buried them because he was afraid. He was afraid of losing them and what the consequences might be. So he hides them. Are you so busy hiding, protecting, preserving that your ability to be Christ's ambassador, it's, it's crippled. It's crippled. Like me on the soccer field, you're so busy trying to defend yourself, your reputation, your honor, whatever little you've got, that you're useless in playing the position that you've been given. And Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. The soldiers are, are supposed to be given what they need, right? Food, clothing, armor, ammo, all of that stuff they're given. So they don't have to worry about gathering all this stuff together and, 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 and finding it. No, they're to go out and do the job that they've been given. And that's what our lives need to look like. We need to be less concerned about our, our provision and so much more concerned about completing the mission that God has given us. We need to look more like Paul in Philippians, where he said, I want to be poured out like a drink offering. You see, in the Old Testament, a priest would make the sacrifice. They sacrifice a, a lamb or a ram or a bull, and then they would take a jar of wine, and they would pour it out beside the altar. It's a little strange, right? Why would they do that? Well, according to Numbers 15.7, the wine was to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Is your life being poured out as a drink offering? Our desire, it should be to have our lives just spent, completely used up as an offering to Christ so that they might be a pleasing aroma to him, to our King. But for that to happen, we need to be done playing defense. As we trust and rely on Christ who promised to always be with us, we need to press on to bring good to others, even if it costs us something. Abraham agrees to Abimelech's treaty. But, but then he brings something up. Something, everything hasn't been kosher here. Everything hasn't been great here. Abimelech, there have been some things that have gone on that we've got to talk about. Verse 25, when, Abimelech reproved, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. And we all know the importance of water. It's an essential part of life. You can't live if you don't have water. And last week, we saw how Ishmael was on the verge of dying in the wilderness because he and his mom, they ran out of water. This water is crucial. We take it for granted because we have it at, at the tap or, or we have bottled water. Bottled water is everywhere. We have bottles in, floating around in the ocean. It's just all over the place. We have water. But for Abraham... 
to have a well seized, well, this was an attack. This was a big deal. This was a real threat to Abraham and the, the livelihood of his people. This was a major disruption to peace. It's bad. And it's the natural result of living in a world where people are trying to protect and preserve to serve themselves, taking whatever they need at the expense of others. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? People taking. Have there been times in your life where your safety, your security, your ability to survive in this world has been threatened? (laughs) And sometimes just living in this world feels like it's a difficult thing. The cost of living being as high as it is, the taxes that are placed on us seem so oppressive at times. Every day we, we turn on the news and we see the crazy, terrible things that people are doing to one another. And on top of all that, we're living in a world that's increasingly hostile to people who know, love, and trust God. It's increasingly hostile to God's people. Well, here in Genesis 21, it's God's people that find themselves threatened. Now, when people find themselves in a threatening situation, they often have one of two responses, fight or flight. And typically, they either, they either run away from the danger to protect themselves, or they stand and fight to eliminate the threat. But here in Genesis 21, Abraham doesn't do either of those things. Verse 25, again, Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water and moved down, and it says, so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Abraham doesn't, doesn't fight. He doesn't flee. Instead, He moves toward establishing peace at his own expense. He offers these lambs to establish this covenant with Abimelech. And that's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Abraham's life was threatened by the men who had seized control of the water. He could have fought. He could have fled. But instead, he pursues peace, the peace that Abimelech had suggested. And he pursues it, realizing there's, there's, there's going to be a cost to myself in this. The fighting would have misrepresented God to these pagan people of the land. Totally misrepresented God. It also would have demonstrated that Abraham's trust really wasn't in God. Fleeing, well, it also would have shown that Abraham really isn't trusting his God. But, but fleeing would have also taken Abraham out of the land, and now Abraham is no longer able to be a blessing to these Philistine people. But intentionally pursuing peace, even though it meant some personal expense, this was a demonstration of faith. It allowed Abraham to continue living there peacefully, to get back to being a blessing to Abimelech and his people as God intended. That's not easy to do, is it? It's not easy. It's so much easier to run and hide. It's so much easier to play defense Seems safer, less difficult, path of, la- of, of least resistance. For others, it, it just comes more natural to get aggressive, to get in people's faces, to chew them out, to stand up, demand your rights. It's easier, more appealing to show everyone else who they're dealing with. 
But neither of those responses help us accomplish God's mission for us. Abraham chose the better way. His way is actually the way of Christ, who came to this world, came at great cost to himself, made a way for us to have peace with God through his death on the cross. And that's what Romans 5 tells us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How did he bring that peace? Verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's quite a hefty cost to bring peace, isn't it? Verse 10, while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. That's just a fancy word that means peace has been restored. And that's what happens if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you now have been reconciled. You have peace with God. Oh, what an incredible thing. Because once you were an enemy of God, the Bible makes very, very clear, you stood condemned in your sin. You deserved only judgment. But since you've confessed your sin and trusted in Jesus, since you trusted in the one who paid the ultimate price when he endured judgment on your behalf, you now have peace with your Creator. It's amazing. You are now reunited with the one and only true good in this world. Do you know that peace? You can be reconciled to God and have peace with Him right now by simply confessing your sin, trusting in what Christ done, has done on the cross turning from your sin and saying, Jesus, I need what you did. Yeah, I've tried, to, I've tried to make up for the wrong things that I've done. I've tried to clean my life up, but I, the Bible makes it very, very clear. None of that works. I need the washing that comes from Jesus. He took my place so that I don't have to endure judgment that I deserve for my sin. I trust him. And if you haven't done that, would you do that this morning? There's nothing, there's no magic words that go along with it. It doesn't involve raising your hand or looking me straight in the eye or anything like that. All it is, it takes place inside of you where you move from I'm trusting in myself or going my own way and realizing, no, this was, this was wrong. I need Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. That's what it's about. That's what faith looks like. For those of us who already have peace in God, are you pursuing peace with others? Are you doing all that you can to build bridges that you might share the hope of Christ with them and teach them the truth of God's word? Even when they present a threat to you. Even when it may mean an expense on your behalf to make that peace happen. We so very often will reason, well, you know, if they come to me and they make up for, you know, they apologize, they, 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 make, they make the first step, well, then, then we can talk. And then maybe I'll, I'll offer them the gospel. No, 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 no. 
Accomplishing our mission is about stepping forward and saying, hey, I need to build this bridge even if it may cost me something. Are you, are you playing defense? Constantly doing all you can to build up and protect and preserve your life. We don't want to be doing that. Let me leave you with the words of Paul in Romans 12, 9. My Bible, this passage is called Marks of the True Christian. It's rather long, but just listen because this is good and relevant. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. In fact, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's not be like that kid on the soccer field. All worried about himself. So worried that he couldn't even play the game. He couldn't even play defense. The defensive position that he was given because he was so busy defending himself. Let's be done playing defense. Let's be done living to protect and preserve our quality of life. Let's strive. Let's pursue. Let's take some risks. Let's make sacrifices to live peaceably with others so that we might point them to the real peace that they need. Peace with God.